butter. Known for being tasty. Famous for being slippery. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why butter is secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. My guests today are Billy Wayne Davis and Connor Listoka. Billy Wayne Davis is one of my favorite stand-up comedians in the entire world, especially his special. It's called Live at Third Man Records. And then you can hear his podcasting on his show Grown Local or as a guest on The Daily Zeitgeist and Behind the Bastards and lots more great shows. Connor Listoka is a comedy writer and podcaster and novelist. You've, you've experienced his writing for Riff Tracks. Uh, hopefully you've experienced his podcasting with the show 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. Uh, and then he has many funny novels. The latest is The Pole Vault Championship of the Entire Universe, which is now an Audible original. Also, I have gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Billy recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Ortongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. Acknowledge Connor recorded this on the traditional land of the Manahoak people, and acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, and today's episode is about butter. Not everyone eats butter, not everyone consumes butter, but you might have butter in your home. You might have butter in your stomach right now. And I am thrilled that butter is something that fits the title of this podcast, because there is so much more there. So, please sit back. Or try to sit without falling down if you have buttered yourself for some reason. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Billy Wayne Davis and Connor Listoka. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Billy, Connor, it is so good to see you, uh, and, and Connor, yeah, it's nice to get together, talk butter. I don't know. It feels like time for some reason. We can fill in why. It is a substance whose time has come, I think. Um, <laughs> butter, has, has, butter, like the cheese, has long stood alone, and uh, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> dig in. When I'm neutral. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being so ready, because yeah, I always ask guests, what's your relationship to the topic or opinion of it? Billy has gone first with neutrality, which makes sense. I, I, I'm like, for it being a good tasting thing, I'm pretty neutral about it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I never really thought about mm-hmm. it much before doing this. You know what? It's one of those things where every now and then you taste like a common, commonly cooked item, and it's like extra good. And you're like, man, <laughs> that's really good. Like, that's good. And you're like, yeah, we put butter in it. And you're like, that's it. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> It's usually butter or sugar, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I don't think about those, but that's... I feel like I learned that within the last year. 
And the rest of the time I was just like astounded by restaurants and I didn't understand how they did it. Yeah. <laughs> right. The past week of not eating at restaurants is like, how come my cooking at home never tastes as good? And it's like, because, you know, that's why the, the, you know, restaurants didn't want to display their caloric information on their menus because the butter that was in it was pretty much making it twice as much as anything you'd cook at home. Oh, I've, yeah. Being from the South, that is like everything. He's just like, why does this taste so good? And you're like, because we used a whole cow on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Like you go into the kitchen of the restaurant and it's just mounds of butter and then one guy in the corner doing the cooking. Like the whole kitchen's (laughs) butter. And then uh, here's a hot plate. Here's where we make it. That's all we need. Yeah. (laughs) It would be, yeah, very disconcerting if there was like a guy who was actually churning butter and it just, you know, constantly was doing the cabbage patch. Like restaurants like love to do the open kitchen so you can watch like the the skilled guys chopping or prepping stuff. But (laughs) every now and then you just just hear, this this is farm to table, you guys. This is it. How is it? It smells terrible in there. It's awful. It's why you want the farm further away, turns out. That is... As someone that grew up in the country, when I hear farm to table, I'm like, how close? How close? (laughs) Like, because I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and then I would go to band camp, not to brag. Wow. At the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. And all of the suburban kids like me, as soon as there was a trip past the campus, you would smell the manure. And we'd all be like, what is that? And the kids from more rural places were like, it's... Life. I don't know why you're thrown off. Yeah. <laughs> That's your hamburger, dude. That's your hamburger. I milked a cow. The first time I ever milked a cow was uh, a trip to Vermont um, in college. And uh, you just, the idea of, you know. You should just stop right there. You should just, that's the best story. <laughs> <laughs> That's my story. Thank you. I will uh, be quiet the rest of the podcast. But when you see what actually comes out of the cow, like, you know, before they are done processing it, that would be enough to put you off butter, perhaps. And then the other part of of that story is I I very the guy was sort of liked he enjoyed giving us city slickers like the Vermont, you know, you know, treatment. And so he let us chop wood after that. And I was wearing uh, flip flops and nearly cut off my big toe. And it was just, you know, you you hand a 21 year old an axe. And of course, you don't think about how you're going to do this. But you 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 swung it and it came down probably two inches from my from my flip flop foot. It was one of those moments where your life just could have been the other way. So I think I was still thrown off by like the gross stuff that was in the cow in the cow milk right out of the right out of the cow they they threw you in the fire pretty it quick was. Yeah. <laughs> as a as a farm like a quasi farm kid that is uh that's i don't consider myself a farm kid because like i did i i mean i guess i was i did all the stuff but it never took you uh-huh. know what i mean like like i know i've said this before a podcast like i know how to do all of it and i'm pretty good at most of it i just the whole time I was like, I think I'm going to do some other stuff when I can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how I respect the hell out of farmers. And sure, the, yeah. When they're like, I'm just a poor farmer. And then you say that they own like just 300 million head of cattle. And you're like, you need to go f- yourself. You're a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Butter's weird, though. <laughs> It is. Well, we can we can get into to why in all the best ways, because on uh, on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And that is in a segment called 
I always feel like numbers are crunching me. And uh, that name was submitted by Nate Youngeman. We have a new name for this segment every week. Please make them as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit to SifPod on Twitter or to SifPod at gmail.com. Uh, thank you, Nathan. That was I was imagining a, uh, do, you, do you remember Troggles? I was imagining a Troggle singing that from the uh, from that game you used to get to play in, in, in elementary school math class, Number Munchers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I got it. They were it. the bad yeah. guys that would come, and yeah, they would do little cutscenes in between the all the number munching. <laughs> it was making learning fun. It was. That was what you'd play when, like, Oregon Trail had already been taken, but, like, you know, the other stuff left was, like, Odell Lake. You sort of had to, like, get that, that in-between ground for number munchers. You could have fun, <laughs> or you could do the math one. That's what it was. <laughs> Remember, but it would be great if all of those like MECC games like had a had the ability to like unlock a secret screen where you could like shoot a bunch of bears and buffaloes. Like if that just popped up in like the lemonade stand game, <laughs> the number buncher unlock- gets a rifle. Like okay, it's time. <laughs> That's how the government should do like socialism stuff. Is like make video game programmers like put in little things where it's like. Every now and then, if you learn correctly, you get to do some f***ed up shit on the video game. <laughs> and then you get to go back to learning. It's smartest kids in the world. We right. go back to number one. Absolutely. Right. Or just put many games into healthcare.gov. Like, if you sign up, you also get to, like, spin the wheel and you get to shoot at bison. And, you know, it's pretty cool. But yeah, you get the new Call of Duty. That's <laughs> just the most dejected leader of all time like all right here how about this how about if everyone's a good person the mascot is a cartoon uh, moose or something who's just sort of throwing his hands up and like you know, just <laughs> the next page he's burying his head in his hands <laughs> i don't know just please i beg of you do the right thing <laughs> come on you guys that's his slogan <laughs> right just... it, it, all his quotes uses multiple ellipses ah uh, ah uh, uh. Butter? Where are we talking? Butter. Butter. Oh, uh, yeah. Are we talking butter? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was sketching the moose, but I'm back. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we. I think we're on to something. Yeah. Yeah, it feels. <laughs> we can sell this to the feds. Absolutely. <laughs> the moose is like, somebody call me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to. He's checking to see if he got any messages. He didn't. Oh. And all he goes, the lottery numbers are. <laughs> We got some numbers here about butter, and the first number is ten thousand BC. I love if we just know we won't let him talk about butter at all. (laughs) So there's one place in I think uh, Denmark or Norway where they make moose cheese, and I would presume that they're making moose butter on that farm. Um, Yeah, we did a trivia night the other night. My wife did a cheese round, and then there's so there's one moose cheesery. Oh, big waste of a uh, big missed opportunity if they're not doing moose butter, I would say. Yeah, they definitely I could. I bet they tried. What? It, I think it depends on the market. Yeah. <laughs> I think the farmer's like, no one cares about this butter. They love the cheese. Right. <laughs> First number here is 10,000 BC, because 10,000 BC is the approximate start of the Neolithic period of history, uh, which means it's the approximate start of butter making by humans. They uh, like nobody knows exactly when it started, but they pretty much figure as soon as people started uh, doing agriculture and doing communities in like fixed locations and domesticated some dairy animals, they they made butter pretty much as soon as they figured out how. 
So it's it's many, many thousands of years old. There's no like set inventor or anything. Incredible. It's remains a, a, a cliche, but like the guy who I think Calvin and Hobbes said, like whoever decided he was going to squeeze those things and yeah. that that was going to be how he sustained his family is a, you know, the, the bravest man out there. I just mimed it just like <laughs> reluctantly like, oh, uh, hey, right. and the cow's like, hey, that doesn't feel bad. <laughs> 10,000 BC, the most popular activity was squeezing things and see if you could eat what came out of them. <laughs> that guy got lucky because the cow was like pretty gentle. Right. Like the guy that did it to the bear was like, he just not like that. That bear does not. <laughs> okay, we can't we can't milk bears. Right. Okay, write that down. <laughs> Let's try well, it when they're hibernating. So a guy is crawling into a bear's den as it's asleep to try to squeeze it. It's like still didn't go well. Nope. Went, still mad. Went better than than the time Bernard did it to the live one though. Yeah, but I'm not dead, but I got this thing on my face where he pawed me. Yeah. <laughs> I think, Billy, I think you also described the bear as a he, which is another impediment to the whole uh, milking situation. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, there's, there's some visual in, in, imagery going there. I know. I'm theater of the mind here, but you got to help them. But yeah, I guess they would just, they would, they would, they would produce a substance um, and then they would like, you weren't really preserving it. You just sort of leave it there and see what happens to it. I mean, that's how you got beer and stuff too back in those days. You just soak some grains and forget about it. And then two weeks later, you'd be like, hey, I feel kind of good. <laughs> like they must have just, I mean, they, they left butter and I mean, I don't know how butter's made, but like the solidified somehow and yeah, history. Well, I think so many mistakes were, <laughs> and death happened. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a microcosm of, you know, sort of uh, evolution and natural selection. Yeah. As it, in itself, just to, to get these food stuffs correct. Yes. Right. And it is also... When you break it down, like we were talking earlier with learning how to cook and how just any cooking works, when it loses its magic, it really does. When you're like, oh, these are all the same spices, just kind of a little different every time. And there's only so many meats we can cook. Or it's just like, <laughs> ah, I wish I didn't learn about this. And I thought that people that could do it were sorcerers still. <laughs> Right. Even if it's not, you know, the metaphorical how the sausage is made, like gross, you do lose some of the magic when it is just like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, soy sauce and sesame oil. That's like the pretty much the <laughs> yes. marinade for all of this stuff. Like, <laughs> yes, it's just sugar. We just put a ton of sugar in it. And that's why the beets taste like candy. And you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> we had the reverse experience in my uh, my elementary school. There was a like cake raffle at the fun fair every year. So like the rookies would go and they'd try to win tickets so that they could get, you know, a, a hula hoop or like a inflatable high five hand or something. But you could go and, and then put your tickets and try to win a whole cake, which when you're in fourth grade, like nothing is better than like having all the cake you want. And then, so we always wanted this woman. Yeah, it's like an eight ball. Everyone got an eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you asked your parents to buy you a Nintendo, they'd be like, well, maybe for your birthday. If you asked them to buy you a whole cake, they'd be like, are you out of your mind? Like, absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> But so we could win a cake. It would be like, that's like, yeah, if you're like 18, you're like, hey, dad, could you get me a keg of beer? And he'd be like, no, man. <laughs> Start with one beer, dude. Right. But I think Mrs. Lovejoy would make these cakes and we thought they were the best. And then one year she revealed that the secret ingredient in them was beets because, you know, beets are just so high in sugar. Oh. And we were just, we thought that was revolting, you know, because beets are a vegetable and vegetables do not belong in your, in your sweets. So 
Um, yeah, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. You guys ever had dates? <laughs> no, I haven't had dates. I have. Dates are, it's crazy that dates are from the earth. They're, they're so sweet. <laughs> when you have the, like, oh, the right. earth made this, you're like, yeah. And you're like, we didn't have anything to do with this. Are you sure? <laughs> That's how sweet dates are. We're like, I don't trust it. Wow. This is, we've done this. Now I'm jealous of Indiana Jones. You've never, You've had, never, had, a never date, had a date, Alex? No. I only know them from Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's it. Wow. You seem like a date kind of guy. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> I'm still wondering if you're putting me on. <laughs> yeah, like the ba- like when he told us about Bandcamp, we were both like, "Yep, yeah, sure, right, right. yeah, sure." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, you've had them for sure, but okay. you've never. You've Billy's never, gonna like, walk off camera. Alex's door is gonna be kicked open, and there's gonna be a, a date force fed down his throat right. like a, a foie gras goose. You're gonna have one, then we're gonna cook. <laughs> Just a few more things about the origin of butter. This is all, it's all kind of theories because it's so many thousands of years ago, but they're pretty sure that before humans domesticated cows, they domesticated sheep and goats. So one of those was probably the first source of butter, even though we now get most of it from cows. Hmm. And the other thing is that we'll, we'll talk a little about later about how butter is made. But one theory is that because butter is made by basically agitating milk or cream, the theory is that what might have happened is somebody had a huge sack of milk, like in an animal skin or something, rode a long distance with it, and then as it shook on the ride, like they got to their destination and had all this butter, and they were like, oh, like that's the theory, yeah. Wow. So they probably like put it on the table and their boss was like, fired, right. <laughs> and he was like walking, you know. You know, to go die at age 23 or whatever the life expectancy was. And then his boss, like, bursts back out, be like, no, wait, like, we're onto something. <laughs> or he just had to sell it hard because he was promised something. He's like, this is better than what I promised you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Remember how this had no lumps you in it? it? You want the lumps. That's, that's the good stuff. The lumps. That's typically. It's hard to find these. Like, you try to find any lumps in this. In any grade. <laughs> it is typically a bad feature. You know, any sort of thing with lumps is usually not going to be good, whether it's your new carpet or whether it's, uh, you know, going to the doctor and finding them. But, you know, for butter, they paid off. <laughs> and gravy. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, yeah. Right. If gravy's got lumps. You're like, all right, I'm okay with this. Because <laughs> it's a lump of gravy. Like, that's, yeah. you know, in any form, it would still be fine. Yeah. And I think gravy's just butter if, we're, if, we, if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Butter with meat squeezins. <laughs> yes, right. That is the essence. Well, the next number here is a simple number. It is the number two, because that is the number of butter stick shapes in the United States. And they have funny names, it turns out, which is nice. <laughs> I don't know if either of you are aware of the situation where the eastern and western United States have different shapes of butter sticks. What? Uh, for the most part. I did notice that. Yeah, because, Billy, you went from Tennessee to California, right? So you, you've done it. Well, I went to Washington first. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Well, I've lived in, yeah, I've lived in Virginia and San Diego and then Vermont. So, but I, I, I'm trying to picture what, the, what they are. No, it, it's like this to this. And then yeah. it's just, it, I don't, it really is like from this to this. Kind of <laughs> this is... <laughs> and the listeners are Sorry, like, it's yes, like, I it's like yes. well, it's like long ways to like, to like short ways and the way they package it. It's yeah. just like, it's like they just twisted it kind of and made. I remember noticing it when I first was like, huh, 
I like local dairies because I travel as a lot of as a comedian. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first things I noticed when I travel is like re you, uh, there's a reason that podcast Doughboys is so popular because yeah when you see a regional fast food chain you're like what is this thing <laughs> <laughs> right or you've heard about it you people yeah. have just bragged about it fast food you can't get yeah you know that's sort of the the in and out effect where you know people just talk uh, it up and then so you want to get it when you get there. But then it's like an emperor's new clothes because you can't go back to states that don't have it and be like, eh, it was fine. You have to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, like, it's the, so yeah. good, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but that was like, so we had this in East Tennessee. There's this dairy called Mayfield and they had ice cream that was just out of this world. So when I went moved to Seattle, I was like, what is the local dairy? And they didn't really have like a local one like that. They had like Tillamook. And that's why I noticed mm. the butter stuff too i was also not a healthy person at that time (laughs) (laughs) wait so i I, i'm imagining what i to me is the classic stick of butter yeah which is divided up into i believe eight tablespoons and is half a cup yeah what is the other size so the size is the same it's a shape difference and the, the two shapes are if you're east of the rockies you have a relatively long and thin stick of butter and it turns out okay. that is called an Elgin stick. And then if you are... Like Elgin Baylor? Uh, like the town of Elgin, Illinois, which is apparently he where they first made the that. machines. <laughs> yeah, Elgin Baylor would be wow. more fun. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, he was named after the butt. And then west of the Rockies, it's like a shorter, thicker, kind of almost squarer stick. All right. And the name for those is Western Stubbies. Wow, that's nice. what those are called. Yes, uh, if you get them. So enjoy, folks. Uh, if you if you if you have that on hand. Yeah. Oh, West Coast a little more laid back. You can <laughs> tell by the way they uh, they name their butter. Yeah. It does sound like a guy from a uh, you know who's who's passed out at the at the saloon in a cowboy movie or something. There's West Coast Stubby. Hey, hey. ain't been the same since the bandit took his took his herd. Hey, they took machines too. <laughs> <laughs> When it, and yeah, and the eastern ones are called Elgin sticks because the town of Elgin, Illinois, used to make a bunch of machines for producing butter sticks, and that was the shape they did. And then, according to John Brunn, the UC Davis Dairy Research and Information Center expert who Marketplace talked to, he said that before the 1960s, almost all butter came from out east, and then the west, especially California, really ramped up production and the new machines they bought do the stubby kind of butter stick. Talk about another thing that, that the guy probably delivered him something, and they're like, is this, is it supposed to be stubby? And he's just like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's a West Coast stubby. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, a local term, I like that, yeah. Put a, get some branding in on it. And he's like, and then he goes home, he's like, and then I said West Coast stubby, and they were like, cool. And I was like, <laughs> They bought it. They totally bought it. I am so relieved because we shipped those things over the Rockies and those machines are not light. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got, there's two more numbers here. One of them is more than 20%. And more than 20% is the U.S. sales increase for Lando Lakes butter in 2020. Okay. Lando Lakes went up more than 20% and they say it's in spite of a bunch of restaurants staying closed during the pandemic. But it's because, quote, the pandemic has lasted so long that people are starting to dish up richer meals at home, and many have taken up baking, benefiting Lando Lakes. So they had a huge 2020. Well, this is shocking to me. Yeah. 
because I, I saw a bunch of I saw a bunch of loudmouths saying that they were never going to buy it again because they took the woman off the box. So that's I mean it's almost as if those yeah. people weren't weren't saying that in good faith. That's that's truly stunning. <laughs> Can you imagine right. saying that out loud? <laughs> no, you can't. No one would ever say that out loud. You would have. To, you need the internet to make a claim would, that yeah, dumb. I w- yes, I mean, but even say typing it to me, I would just be like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more number here, and last number takes us into the first takeaway. The number is one, and here is takeaway number one. Butter comes from one ingredient. And that ingredient comes from an amazing array of animals. It's like like butter will have like salt in it or other things in it often when we get it. But mm-hmm. the basic making of butter, you just need milk from an animal. That's all you need. Like that. That's that's the whole deal. Wow. Yeah. Could you? I mean, I'm sure they've done it. It's like like uh, breast milk butter. There's we'll we'll link a blog from Jezebel.com where somebody says they did it and and has like instructions and pictures and stuff. Uh, my my main source for a lot of the episode is actually a book called Butter: A Rich History. It's by a food writer named Elaine Kosrova, and it's great, but also does not touch the human butter issue. The internet says you can do it, <laughs> and I think mammals you can do it pretty much. I haven't seen it disproved that a mammal like can't do it. So yeah, probably you can probably do it. Wow. The the whole process is a producer takes raw milk. Uh, they usually extract the richest portion of the milk, which is called the cream. Mm-hmm. And then you just churn that into butter. And now we do it mechanically. It used to be people with big churns. And according to Slate, quote, butter is formed when the membranes surrounding fat globules in cream are stripped through the process of physical agitation that allows the fat to clump together into a single mass, i.e. butter. And so the you can get all kinds of variety in the world if you just pick like new milks and new animals and stuff to get out of it. But other, otherwise, it's pretty straightforward. You don't need to like stack up a bunch of ingredients or something. That ticks a list of like maybe ten, three of the ten like least appetizing words to describe something so delicious: globule, <laughs> clump, uh, membrane. Yeah. <laughs> and, but yet, and then butter. They just somehow they they form into a delicious Voltron when you put them all together. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, so like, I mean, like we talked about the moose earlier, but I just wonder, you know, what else is out there that they're doing? Because, you know, your sheep and goats, fine, we'll accept them. Those are good. The cheeses are good. But you start getting down into weirder mammals and all of a sudden it just starts getting very off-putting, you know? I have a question. Is that, is it just dairy if it comes from a cow? No, it's not. There's also a thing with the word butter... According to National Geographic, the word butter comes from ancient Greek because it's a combination of their word for cow, which is boss, and cheese, which is touros. So it's boss touros. Uh, it's like named after cows. So that's why cows are called bossy in cartoons and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> like bossy, I feel, is like a generic cow name, like Rover for a dog. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's way better name than butter. Bossy? No, boss no. touros. Yeah, it's pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> That's better than, hey, can I have some butter? I would like some bastoros. Are you going to cook with bastoros? <laughs> but then this author, this author, Elaine Kosrova, has like traveled the world sampling butters. And in the U.S., we pretty much get it all from cows. But she says that producers around the world also count on the milk from sheep and goats and yaks and water buffaloes and camels and other animals, too, to like produce milk that will get turned into butter. And then like if you make... 
sheep milk into butter, you're using milk that has double the fat content of cow's milk. If you use goat milk, the butter will be white because they don't like store the carotene and grass that makes butter yellow. Camel's milk has more vitamin C than other milks. They're they're all just like different in their own way and can be butter. It's just an option. Dog butter makes you just throw up instantly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but then you eat it right back up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the other thing Elaine Kostarova says is she picks out the cheese industry, because especially if you go to a fancy grocery store, there's like this whole case of cheeses, and it's like, oh, this is from this animal, and this is from this region, and yada, and yada, yada. And she's not saying we need to do it, but she says, hey, butter could be that. Like, it only isn't that way because there's no demand for stuff in the U.S. besides, like, normal butter. That That's the only reason. That's interesting to me because it, it is, it's, they they use camel butter because cows will die if they live here. So that's yeah. why it's a cultural thing. It's it's mostly just because of ge- the geography and yeah. more than anything else. Also, why they don't use olive oil or whatever is because they didn't have that stuff yeah. to cook with. So they, they were like, hey, here, here's what we figured out is a good way to to lubricate these pans and make these things not stick. And then also it tastes good and doesn't kill us. And when we eat it correctly, my thing works good. <laughs> I also wonder if its status is like more ingredient than, you know, main course itself is like why you'd be reluctant to go to the store and spend what I would imagine would be like $45 a pound for camel butter. Because right. if you're just going to like cut it up and put it in your pasta as opposed to like putting it on a Triscuit like you might be, you know, like you would if a piece, a piece of cheese that was that exotic. That's probably like why you don't see as much of it. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, because and Elaine Kasarova says that, quote, the practical fact is that cows are the most general, generous, manageable, and affordable source of butter fat, especially in modern times, uh, end quote. Because, yeah, it's like it's just easier to get. And then, like you say, Connor, it's just going to go into stuff. Like, you're not going right. to notice so much, probably. Also, I like the way that we evolved. Like, we went with goat, sheep, then cows because we went by size who we could overtake (laughs) (laughs) and then we've all when we've eventually went with just cows because they are the least aggressive of the three of those that come back at you and we're like actually the big ones pretty easy to control so we're going to use those yeah Yeah, the, the goat ended up standing on its hind legs and like you know cursing my family it was actually like it was a uh it wasn't good it was yeah and then your uncle he kept he loved those sheep in a way that we need to get rid of them. <laughs> he kept saying, feels the same, and I don't like that. <laughs> we need to get some cows, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there, like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. <laughs> well, I think I think we can go to a next takeaway from here. Takeaway number two. There are two whole separate world traditions of butter sculpting. We're talking about sculptures made out of butter. I, I have a lot of family in Iowa, and so I grew up knowing about butter cows and, and like butter sculpting, but I don't know if you guys had experience with that growing up or anything. Yeah, Wisconsin State Fair would visit family there and you'd see stuff like that. It's quite impressive. There's the their very famous very famous tweet of of Ted Cruz standing in front saying, Wow, a cow made of butter with no exclamation <laughs> mark or anything. And he's got a very very, very disheveled appearance and stuff. It's it's an all-timer, I think. Uh, so that was sort of, I, I when that would circulate, you know, six years ago, I was just like, that is right. I've been here. I've seen, I've seen them doing this in Wisconsin. It's really amazing. But they do, they do people out of butter. I mean, they do like structures. So like, you know, I think I'm sure that like, if you can name a, a celebrity, there's probably been a butter version of it at some point in well, time. Well, it's and, like, just, an, if we're really honest, it, it's an example of over-industrialization is what it is. is sure, like we yeah. should never have that much excess butter right. <laughs> the cows are like you guys you, i mean not for nothing but you guys are being about yeah. this you, <laughs> you 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 had me hooked up to the milker for four hours that's gonna that's gonna feed hungry children right i mean while he's sculpting a a butter lego batman like who's you know <laughs> meeting a butter butter uh derpy hooves or something <laughs> he's just like ying, ying. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> listeners, no one tell the cows about this. They'll be very right. upset. Right. Uh, <laughs> this is and yeah, taking the butter and and making it into another butter cow, like a cow made out of butter, is just sort of like that's you know they feed you know cows back to themselves as feed. Like it's just one step removed from that almost. It's, yeah, it's like that Anthony, that old Anthony Clark joke where he's like, I used to take the cows and feed them hamburger, eat it, <laughs> cannibal. Yeah, well, and, and we have. Two very, very different traditions of butter sculpting to talk about here, but the first one is this United States tradition that I, I love how he called it, Billy, like over-industrialization. We dominated farming so successfully and mainly showed it at state fairs, uh, world fairs, that kind of thing. Look how much we did it. And you're like, that's no thought past that. We didn't. No, <laughs> yes, we got a right. bunch. Yes. <laughs> big number. We did it big. Lots, lots yeah, of yeah. thing. <laughs> I'm best. Big. Okay. I wonder if the skill translates of, you know, carving the butter, you know, into like other impressive, you know, ice carvings or like huge wood carvings or anything like that. Or if those are just like those fields just can't stand each other and they think the butter carvers think the ice carvers are hacks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know that, you know, there's some level of that. 
that's like kind of true with fine art sculptors actually uh and if 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 we didn't make it clear to people there's a thing in the u.s especially at state fairs where huge many hundred pound sculptures made entirely out of butter will be displayed for people the iowa state fair one is a butter cow every year but also they'll do stuff like a 50th anniversary starship enterprise for the 50th anniversary of star trek uh, and because captain kirk is from iowa the there was a pennsylvania fair <laughs> no, where they not. did a he's not. set of he's not butter from, mascots he's not from i i want to correct you he's not a real person oh. <laughs> what no. uh, i i know <laughs> I'm like 90% sure he's not a real person. Yeah, I, I got that. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a statue of Rocky in Philadelphia, and I had to look up if he was a real person when I saw it. <laughs> I knew he wasn't, but the fact that there was a statue there, I did go yeah. back to my hotel and look it up just to make sure because I was like, I might be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> right, because I think Rocky is based on a story of an actual boxer, but that statue is not of that guy. It is of nope. 100% it's, one Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> it is of the movie guy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's very clear. It's of the movie guy. That's what it doesn't even say. The real guy is just there is a statue of the real guy but it's just in some like creepy guy shed out of butter, <laughs> yes. of course. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's just cheese whiz is what it is. Just Philly cheese whiz. Right. <laughs> I've got like a few other sculpture examples here and one of them is from Pennsylvania because at the most recent Pennsylvania farm show they did a triple butter sculpture of the Philadelphia Eagles mascot, who is named Swoop, the Pittsburgh Steelers mascot, Steely McBeam, and then the Flyers mascot, Gritty. There was a butter Gritty, Ugh. the internet, uh, that you could see at this like Pennsylvania okay. farm show. Somebody right. just built it. And you could throw batteries at them, hopefully, <laughs> per the Philadelphia tradition. Is Steely McBeam, is that... That sounds very unfortunately internet-y to me, like the Bodie McBoat face thing. Do, is that, do you think that was a result of a poll, or was that something that's like a deep, you know, steel, steel city tradition from 40 years ago that just aged terribly? I feel like you haven't been to Pittsburgh if you have to ask that question. Okay. <laughs> I, feel like not... I feel like they were like, this is a good name. <laughs> Other sculptures that have been made are a tribute to the Apollo 11 crew, they made them out of butter for the Ohio State Fair uh, for the moon landing anniversary. Thank you for your service, gentlemen. This was. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and then uh, the butter cow, the uh, Iowa State Fair describes it as about 600 pounds of Iowa butter that is then cooled and sculpted into a butter cow. That's the largest butter sculpture ever made was made for the 2013 Texas State Fair. It weighed over 4,000 pounds or 1,849 kilograms for our metric friends. But it was a butter version of an existing sculpture called Big Tex that welcomes people to the Texas State Fair. So they just made a butter one (laughs) at a world record setting size. Yeah. Wow. Did it wave? Did it make it wave? Because it Big Tex wave. (laughs) That's incredible. That's, that's, no. Yeah. Everything bigger in Texas, like, yeah, just to the T. Most Tex of all time is what <laughs> now i want to see butter ted cruz standing in front of a cow made of butter like you could do that out oh. of, make that five thousand pounds break the record and like make it this looming monstrosity that just would dwarf a city skyline but how would you get that melting butter effect that his face already has <laughs> <laughs> that's right when the the other thing about butter sculpting in the u.s is that the uh, start of it and kind of the history of it is really built around female artists. So that's that's very exciting. 
Uh, the first like major butter sculptor in the U.S. was a woman named Caroline Shock Brooks, who was an Arkansas farm woman who started experimenting with butter portraits in the 1860s. It had no formal because artistic it's training. It's not exciting. It's sad. Was it? It's sad. But it's sad because it. That's all. That's all they let women do. Exactly. You can carve this butter, and she's like, <laughs> "All right." And then they look like she's amazing at this. And they're like, "Nah, should we give her like a like, you know, like bronze or something to work?" Like, nah. <laughs> Has yeah. she ever been reenacted in butter? I I actually don't know. I hope so because it it is. It is exciting and sad, like you said, Billy, because there was already <laughs> an existing thing where butter making on family farms in, in America in the 1800s was usually kind of like the ladies' part of the business, and they would they would work out little stamps and molds and little artistic things to like label their butter as from being their farm and stuff. And so, women were able to break into this butter sculpting because the men working in like stone and metal and stuff didn't feel threatened by it. Like that was the only reason that was an open lane for women in the art yeah. world. Those are hard artistic mediums. Those are the those are the man ones, and then <laughs> yes. you can have the one that is, is soft. Anyone could carve that. Anyone could carve an incredibly detailed replica of Michelangelo's David in there because it's soft. So it's soft. Women's work. Yeah. <laughs> Look how soft those nuts are. I'm a man. I'm a man. Those are granite. That's a granite penis. <laughs> yeah. It looks. Is it? it? I just thought it was a. You didn't. You didn't do a very good job sculpting it. That's that's because it's hard. It's <laughs> it's still a. D- yeah, it's it's hard. Truly, when you say Michelangelo's David, like she at the 1876 Centennial Exhibition in Paris, Brooks displayed an epic portrait called "Dreaming Iolantha" of a beautiful blind princess from a historical play. The New York Times said, "Quote: The harmony on the face is exquisite. The ear is quite a marvel." Like it was, she was doing incredible, like like classical sculpture in butter. To convey blindness in a butter sculpture is amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> what it is, and then it melted because it was eighteen seventy six, and there was no, there was not cold. It was just everything spoiled immediately. <laughs> Can you imagine the other kids at this Paris thing? Just being like, yeah. all right, now we gotta go see what the butter chick did, and then she unveils it, and people just start crying. <laughs> it's amazing! It's amazing! You're like, why do you choose butter? And you're like, because men are fuckers. That's why I chose butter. And then they pan down, they pan down to the next guy, and it's like, what did you do? And he's like, you don't want to see it. And they're like, is that Steely McBeam? And he's like, yeah, like I said, you don't, you don't give give, give the prize to the blind woman. No, no, I, no, 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 no. It's cool. It's cool. Mine's broken. Mine's broken. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it on toast. Leave me alone. Uh, just ah, I didn't it's, know. Whew. <laughs> it's annoyed having sex with Gonzo. I, I got a little. Uh, it's just. I thought this was a pretend one. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, and so then you have this, like, these sculptures are shown at a few state fairs, and then it becomes a thing that Americans do. There's been an Iowa butter cow at the state fair every year since 1911. Like, it's a long-running thing here. The the utter... <laughs> utter. Whoa. And then the <laughs> other world butter sculpting tradition. There we go. The other world butter sculpting tradition is is... Like, as different as it can be, I think, while still being butter sculpting, it comes from the country of Tibet, which is in the Himalayas, if people don't know. The dominant religion there is Buddhism. The Dalai Lama is from Tibet. And Tibet has, like, a huge dairy industry based on yaks. 
uh, which are like a shaggy haired species of cattle. You may remember them from like animal alphabets where they're the letter Y, you know? Yeah. They dominate Y. They're cool. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a, a big tradition of butter sculpting in Tibet as like a sacred religious practice. And Elaine Kasarova says it stretches back to the pre-Buddhist shamanic history of Tibet. And then the first recorded Buddhist butter sculpture was in 641 AD. Because the king of Tibet married a Chinese princess, they wanted flowers for the ceremony, but fresh flowers were not in season, so the Tibetans improvised by creating a bouquet of flowers from yak butter and flour colored with natural pigments. So they dyed butter and sculpted it into flowers, and that was the bouquet for the wedding. That is some hillbilly, is what that is. <laughs> that is mountain people. Um, I come from those. Yeah, mountain billies. Yeah, that's, yeah. I come from those people, and that is exactly what that is. <laughs> not you mean not buying something off the registry, but being like, here I, I made this for you off of stuff on the farm. Well, it is. We only have so much to work with up here, and it takes a long time to get down. But we are incredibly resilient, if not resourceful people. So look at this art we've created. Or we can't grow much corn up here because it's all rocky. So the corn we do have. We turned into liquor. <laughs> so here you go. It's worth more than your corn. That's what that's what that is. I understand completely. Where it was like, ah, man, we don't have flowers right now, and the Chinese do do not tell them about that weed. They're gonna want all that weed. <laughs> don't tell them about that. Do the butter thing. Is the picture you sent us the example of this? Yeah. Of that. So it's incredibly intricate, beautiful, like Buddhist figures with either mineral or natural pigments. Yeah, it's pretty much our joke about the guy who made uh, butter steely McBeam and then this you know, the, the, the Tibetans are just like, Oh, this is a this is a literal work of art. It looks like the Sistine Chapel ceiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the fact that they're both butter carvings is like saying, you know, that Godfather Part Two is the same as uh Daddy Day Camp or something. What are you saying? They're both. What are you saying? Sorry, sorry. I wrote I'm, Daddy Day Camp. <laughs> this is this was the long con. <laughs> that's the fun, That's the best part of Hollywood. You say something like that, and it's like your friend's like, "I wrote that." Right? The jukebox uh, scratches, and the guy at the end of the bar, "What the hell did you just say?" <laughs> yeah, I wrote Kindergarten Cup, and you're like, "That's." You still shouldn't be mad, <laughs> right? <laughs> You should know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I'm being honest with you. That's, yeah, like, that's the thing. Is all you, you should know then. Yeah. If you wrote it, then you should yeah. know. The guy who wrote Kindergarten Cop wasn't like pacing in his room before he like, you know, uh, his wife is like, come to bed. He's like, not now. And then he sits down. Boys have a penis. Um, <laughs> my art. I suffer for my art. That's it. Yeah, he's like, here's my, I turned in my art today. <laughs> And that's exactly right that, like, the two, I guess, sides of the world or hemispheres or whatever, we have America where we're doing, like, funny butter enterprises. And then <laughs> Tibet, since the 1400s, they've been making, like, they have monks making incredibly elaborate butter sculptures to celebrate what's called the Tibetan Butter Lamp Festival, where there are, the streets are full of lamps made of yak butter, and then the monks work so hard at these sculptures that apparently they dip their hands in snow or in icy water to keep the hands cold so they don't melt the butter they're working with too much. 
uh, and they'll have like health complications from that, but they're that committed to it. Oh and it, it's like, it's, it's this deeply meaningful activity in Tibet to be making butter sculptures. And I had no idea until, until looking into this. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's like a, it's like the Winnie the Pooh meme of just like, you know, butter sculpture. And then he puts on the tuxedo and it's like <laughs> the Tibetan Tibet. butter sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Tibetan guy is like, I've suffered for my art. And the kindergarten cop writer is like, hey, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel you, dog. <laughs> yeah, so there are these amazing sculptures that we will have pictures of if people want to go see them. Because I, I like that Sistine Chapel comparison. They're really <laughs> they're really very nice. They're, they're very different from gritty uh, as butter. But uh, we have one more takeaway for the episode. Here we go into takeaway number three. The American butter industry tried to destroy the new margarine industry by forcing them to dye margarine weird colors. Whoa. And this is a late 1800s thing, but I, I had no idea until getting to the research for this. There was an era when the butter industry did a bunch of legal shenanigans and, and like political moves to force margarine makers to dye it pink and some other weird colors, too. Wow. Man, that's diabolical. Yeah. What do you mean? What did they do to force them? They ba- they basically got a hold of state and national legislators and convinced them to put it on like state and federal law. Like it was actually on the big books, butter, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big butter, basically. Yeah. So that would be like if you if you said like you know the you can't call champagne champagne unless it's there. But then if champagne went and made everyone else dye their other sparkling wine green or something to make it look like pond water. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect analogy. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> or if you owned a lot of paper mills and all the newspapers, you went and did a campaign and said cannabis was evil. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what a fantastical world that would be. I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that'd be like, you know, and then like it, like it took a hundred years or so for people to uh, figure out that it's not... And their body has receptors for it. <laughs> Nobody would have that much time on their hands or have that much, you know, malfeasance towards something so harmless. <laughs> yeah, or just greed, just straight up greed. Yeah, yeah, is what that is. <laughs> well, like, so that when you make things different colors, like it just it either like makes it incredibly appealing if you're say under the age of fourteen, like when it's like you know now Cheetos turn your tongue green, <laughs> yeah. or then if you're if you're like now the. Uh, you know, crystal Pepsi for whatever, and you're just like, well, this is weird. It doesn't look like what I'm expecting, and now it's it's vile to me. <laughs> is that old Mister Show? That old Mister Show sketch? Like, Fuck you, Granny, this ain't your margarine. <laughs> <laughs> I did it again. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Man, so did they did, did they not succeed, or did they just like was it? Uh, did they have to dye margarine pink for a while? They had to dye it for, as far as I can tell, like a decade or two in a lot of states. Wow. And it's because margarine, I I, I had no idea, but margarine really took the world by storm all of a sudden. What happened is, and we've got a great National Geographic source for this, but they talk about how margarine was invented in 1869 in France. Nice. Yeah, nice. 1869. And uh, so (laughs) there was a contest run by the French emperor Napoleon III to come up with a cheaper substitute for butter. And the French chemist, <laughs> Hippolyte Mejmouri, came up with a spread made out of beef tallow that became oleomargarine. And so that, and then it just like blew up worldwide. And by 1882, New York State alone was producing 20 million pounds of margarine. 
Like w- within a decade and a half, it was everywhere. That is such a perfect thing for Napoleon the Third to do. <laughs> Napoleon One is like, I'm conquering everything. Yeah. Napoleon Two is probably like, well, I ran the family business. And Napoleon Three is like, I ran a contest so people would invent margarine. Like, what do you, what do you want? Like, sure, I'm not my grandfather, but we all can't be. <laughs> what if we made butter worse? Yeah. <laughs> I did a contest to make butter worse. <laughs> when he, he partly did it because they were about to go to war with the Prussians. So he was like, I need to save on butter how do i worsen it to like fight my war that i want to wow. fight yeah it was all machinations napoleon finally leaves elba he gets unexiled like what's <laughs> happening your grandson really messed things up man uh <laughs> you gotta have a talk with him <laughs> i will but first i'll eat this piece of toast spit take like really mad <laughs> what this is where someone's going to write in and say that, like, the actual Napoleon is Napoleon III, and I'm just an idiot. Like, that's, that's probably oh. going to be the case, right? No, separate guy. He was, I think he was his nephew. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> I also assumed that uh, that margarine was World War II. I thought that's when they would have just un- unleashed that onto humanity uh. just as a way to, you know, save. But, you know, Different hey. world war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I will never forget the year it was invented, because I, I said nice like a, like a dumb <laughs> I couldn't repress it. <laughs> That's the internet for us. That's how it works. Um, right. <laughs> real quick here, the the buildup to these laws to change the color is like U.S. dairy companies immediately tried to destroy margarine. And so they lobbied Congress to pass what was called the Margarine Act in 1886 that put huge taxes on it. The states of Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Ohio banned it completely. Then also National Geographic says a barrage of dubious scientific reports hinted that margarine caused cancer or possibly (laughs) led to insanity. Wow. So they just flooded the country with like laws and propaganda all to say margarine's terrible. Don't do it. And when that didn't work, they tried this color stuff. Posters of Hitler eating a big tub of margarine. (laughs) Like, man, that's incredible. What, how much time and man hours wasted to de- demonize a perfectly terrible product for the wrong reasons? Yeah. <laughs> right. They didn't say it's not as good. They were just like, it's the devil. Like they tried a bunch of <laughs> other stuff. When I And then I don't know if I've seen margarine that has not been dyed because all these laws are gone now about the color of margarine. But uh. the dairy companies realized that margarine like comes out of the machine or whatever looking very white and very pasty and not very appetizing Uh, and so butter producers claimed that the yellow dye being put in margarine was a ploy to deceive the public and like illegal business Mm. and so through lobbying and other moves apparently by 1902 32 u.s states had some kind of color constraint on margarine on their books as a law Uh, a lot of them said you couldn't dye it yellow but then Vermont and New Hampshire and South Dakota, those three states passed what were called pink laws that said that in order to sell margarine in that state, you had to dye it bright pink. And they did that in the 1800s. Like, it was on the books for a while. Yeah. Just, wow. We've always been cool. Just it's always <laughs> been a just, a just a level-headed country over here. With the margarine coloring, you have Vermont, New Hampshire, and South Dakota pass laws. It has to be pink. And then other states tried to do their own laws where it has to be red or it has to be brown or it has to be black. Like, ah. were, like U.S. states were like, oh, this is how I, a legislator paid for by the butter industry, can like 
ruined margarine. You have to actively and put mold in your margarine to signify that it's not butter. That is that is what we're going <laughs> right. to say here in, in New Mexico. That's our law. <laughs> Could you just put poison on the box? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Yuck is the official mascot of margarine. <laughs> <laughs> Vomit stick. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the resolution of those laws is it went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And so... In, of course it did. Of course it did. <laughs> yes. And so in the case of Collins v. New Hampshire in 1898, it was a 7-2 decision against those laws. They said that the statute of New Hampshire prohibiting the sale of margarine, unless it is of a pink color, is invalid and prohibitory. State In other cases, they said states could keep, like, banning making margarine a specific color, and states could keep taxing it aggressively and do other things, but you couldn't require it to only be one weird color, was how the, the courts came down. And then margarine was sold in, like, relatively normal colors for, for the rest of U.S. history. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so there's an alternate timeline where that caused, you know, Civil War II or something like that, <laughs> you know. A states' rights issue like that was just like, you know, well... I guess we got to we're seceding. <laughs> people went to people went to the hospital over this for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Billy Wayne Davis and Connor Lestoka for buttering me up with friendliness and humor. Feels good. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, because patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is the world's most ancient and powerful butters. I'm being a little bit fun about that title, but we're going to show you ancient and powerful butters beyond your imagining and also explore the frontiers of theoretical butters that are not yet in existence. I think this is the first time the bonus show has had a topic that's very similar to the main topic. It's more butter, and that's because butter is that amazing. So visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than two dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring Butter with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, butter comes from one ingredient, and that ingredient comes from an amazing array of animals. Takeaway number two, there are two entire separate world traditions of butter sculpting. And takeaway number three, the American butter industry tried to destroy the margarine industry by forcing them to dye margarine weird colors. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. Billy Wayne Davis is an amazing stand-up comedian. We'll link his special. It's entitled Live at Third Man Records, and Third Man Records is Jack White's label and setup and everything down there in Nashville. And then Billy has a fantastic podcast of his very own. It is called Grown Local, and they go to a new part of the cannabis world every season. We're linking to the website for that, or you can type in the URL. It is grownlocalpod.com. And then Connor Lestoka is many things. He's a senior writer and producer for Riff Tracks. If you've never heard their audio commentaries on movies, 
I highly recommend that as a way to just entertain yourself, especially at home. We're linking 372 pages I'll never get back because Connor and his Rift Tracks pal Michael J. Nelson co-host that excellent podcast. And then Connor's hilarious novel is a new Audible original. Connor's novel is called The Pole Vault Championship of the Entire Universe. The audio version from Audible Originals has a cast featuring Eliza Skinner, Janet Varney, Weird Al Yankovic, Paul F. Tompkins, John DiMaggio, Dulce Sloan, friend of this show Jackie Cation, and many, many more comedy heavyweights. So I think you will like it. Check it out. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great book entitled Butter, A Rich History. That's by Elaine Kosrova. A great article from Vice, it's called The History of Butter Sculpture is Strange Indeed, that's by Matthew Zuras. Another article from Atlas Obscura, featuring the Tibetan approach to butter sculpting. And then an article from National Geographic, it's called The Butter Wars When Margarine Was Pink, and that's by Rebecca Rupp. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>